You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage In 2014, the town of Fayetteville, Arkansas, which is a college town, college towns tend to be a little bit more progressive and liberal than other places, passed an LGBT civil rights ordinance that was immediately challenged by local anti-gay haters and activists who gathered signatures and forced a referendum. And this family that you may have heard of, the Duggars of 19 and Counting on TLC, really led the charge to, to repeal this ordinance. They donated tens of thousands of dollars to the repeal campaign. And Michelle Duggar, who is Jim Bob Duggar's wife, Ma Duggar, the vagina is not a clown car woman, the mother of the 19 children, she recorded a robocall uh, that went out to all the voters in Fayetteville, Arkansas, encouraging them to repeal this LGBT civil rights measure. And I'm going to read a little bit from the robocall for you. This is the text of it. Hello, this is Michelle Duggar. I am calling to inform you of some shocking news that would affect the safety of Northwest Arkansas women and children. The Fayetteville City Council is voting on an ordinance this Tuesday night that would allow men, yes, I said men, to use women's and girls' restrooms, locker rooms, showers, sleeping areas, and other areas that are designated for females only. I don't believe the citizens of Fayetteville would want males with past child predator convictions that claim they are female to have a legal right to enter private areas reserved for women and girls." So that was Michelle Duggar actually in advance of the passing of this ordinance, recording a robocall in opposition to it, warning the good people of Fayetteville, Arkansas, that LGBT people, particularly T people, this is a particularly transphobic kind of demagoguery, were coming to molest their children, that transgender child predators, that men who claim they're trans women to get access to women's spaces were coming to molest little girls. At the time that she recorded this robocall, of course, Michelle Duggar had personal experience of what all the research tells us is true, that most child molestation happens not in public restrooms or play areas or gyms, but in homes, within families. Because Michelle Duggar and Jim Bob Duggar, as I'm sure I don't need to tell you, discovered when their son, Josh Duggar, was 14-ish, that he had been molesting little girls in their house, some of them his siblings. And they didn't take this to the authorities. They lied to the police, the one police officer that they did talk to and said that they had placed Josh in a treatment program when actually they had just sent Josh to hang out with somebody who rehabs houses in Nashville or something, some other city for the summer to work it out. And they didn't do the things that you're supposed to do. And allegedly Jim Bob – this is our part of the scandal. It hasn't been much unpacked. Jim Bob Duggar allegedly informed the elders of his church as to what was going on. And most church elders in most states – I don't know about the law in Arkansas – are what are known as required reporters or mandatory reporters that if they're aware of child abuse that they have to go to the police. And nobody has yet flipped that rock over. Who knew what? When did they know it? And why didn't these mandatory reporters go to the police? Anyway, all this came tumbling out just as I got home from my vacation in Europe. I was in Vienna hanging out with friends. It was a good time. And every time I looked at my phone while I was away, it was a stressful time every time I looked at my phone because the Family Research Council 
And the Family Research Council Action Group, which is their political wing, was leading this charge against The Real O'Neills, which is a sitcom that's going to be on ABC uh, this year, probably around December. It's going to be a mid-season replacement. And as you've probably heard, it is based loosely on my life. Very loosely. Loosely based, like a pass-around party bottom after the International Male Leather Competition this weekend in Chicago. Very loosely based. Uh this uh, sitcom, The Real O'Neills, I didn't write it. I'm one of seven executive producers. Uh, I was in the room when they were ginning it up and I was offering some suggestions about what I know about growing up in Chicago as a gay kid because it's set in Chicago and growing up in a Catholic family as a gay kid because it's a Catholic family. But it's not beyond that there is a gay kid and that gay kid's father happens to be a Chicago cop. It's really not based on my life at all. And I'm not a writer. And I'm only one of seven executive producers on this program. And yet – Family Research Council, every time I looked at my phone, was just attacking this show, attacking me personally, and calling me a threat to children and a danger to children and a bunch of other things, a mentally ill sodomite and a bully that they love to call me a bully over at the Family Research Council. Hey, Tony. And they they were demanding basically that ABC cancel this show because of my rather small involvement in it uh, and misreported involvement in it. It's not a sitcom based on my life because I'm a danger to children. They even had a prayer of the day at Family Research Council going out, asking the country to pray for protection, asking their followers to pray for protection from my vile spewings. Weird that they would go there. Weird that they would end up with that image, vile spewing. And the person leading this charge, the person family research, action, council, whatever, family, FRC's uh, political wing, was Josh Duggar, the Duggar kid, the Duggar boy, running around claiming that I am a danger to children, that this show is a danger to children, when he himself, as a teenager, molested girls, including, according to the police reports, his sister's. There's this thing that the religious right does that's revealing. They claim that gay couples that wish to marry are attacking the family, that we're a danger to the institution of marriage. And it's really this effort to absolve straight people of their responsibility for, the, for their marriages. It's not that straight people are committing adultery. It's not that straight people are defining adultery always as a relationship termination event. It's not that straight people are divorcing and abandoning their children. It's not what straight people are doing to marriage that is undermining the heterosexual institution of marriage. It's what the evil boogeyman gay people want to do to marriage, which is get married. We're the threat, not you, straight people. And you see the same thing with child abuse, child molestation. Mostly happens in families. And yet when they want to talk about it, they want to argue that this isn't something that happens within good Christian homes. This isn't something that happens within quiverful, patriarchal, female enslaving bullshit cults like the one that the Duggars belong to where girls are taught that they are never allowed to say no to men. This is something that trans women do to little girls, not the firstborn child of quiverful God-fearing parents like Jim Bob and Michelle Duggar. It is an effort, again, to put that risk and danger out there and, and put it on someone else. Not a problem in the family. It's a threat to the family. When the research, the data, what we know about this stuff shows it is almost always a problem in the family. It was a problem in 
Jim Bob and Michelle Duggar's family when they were out there demagoguing, attacking LGBT people, pointing a finger at LGBT people. Josh Duggar included goes on TV, says he opposes this ordinance because it is a danger to little girls. Says the danger to little girls. I take no delight in the fall of Josh Duggar. Josh Duggar had to leave his job at Family Research Council. All these Republican candidates running for president are very embarrassed by these photos that are flying around on the internet of them with Josh Duggar. The Learning Channel has temporarily suspended the show. We'll see what happens. And it's caused problems for Josh Duggar's family. And as much as I loathe Josh Duggar and I loathe Jim Bob and Michelle Duggar and loathe what they've done to their children, I take no delight in this. Five little girls were molested. We cannot lose sight of that as we, I don't know, as we acknowledge what happened. It's not an occasion for schadenfreude. It is not an occasion for delight. It is not an occasion as... Some people were clogging up my Twitter feed saying it's not Christmas in May. It's not. Little girls were molested. Little girls were abused and then failed by the people in their lives who were supposed to protect them and look out for them. Their own parents, their own faith leaders. That's nothing to celebrate. I'm still concerned for these kids. I hope Child Protective Services is on its way to the Duggar compound to interview all these children. The Duggars, uh, in addition to being advocates for the Quiverful movement, which is about having as many children as humanly possible and homeschooling and isolating your kids and lying to them about who they are and convincing girls that their virginity is the sole measure of their worth and that a woman's job is to always submit to the leadership of the men in her life, which seems to be a good way to enable this kind of intrafamily abuse. They are homeschooled. And I'm wondering if these girls have had any counseling, any real counseling, not bullshit religious counseling, because one of the things flying around on the internet right now is the advice on counseling sexual abuse that is a part of the Duggars homeschool program, the homeschooling program that the Duggars use. And I don't give trigger warnings often or ever, but I'm going to give a trigger warning right now. If you have been abused, you might not want to listen to the next like 30 seconds or two minutes of what I'm going to say, because this is what this religious homeschooling worksheet says that parents should say to their children who've been abused by, say, their older brother. One of the questions, why did God let it happen? Why did God let your older brother abuse you? Was it the result of immodest dress? Your fault, little girl. Indecent exposure, your fault, little girl. But this is the one that made my head explode on this long worksheet. If the abused was not at fault, God compensates for physical abuse with spiritual power. And then asks the little girl who's been abused, if you had to choose no physical abuse or mighty in spirit, because the experience of being abused will strengthen your soul and spirit, if you had to choose, little girl, between no physical abuse or mighty in spirit, what would you choose? I'm very curious to know, and I think Child Protective Services in Arkansas should be very curious to know whether these little girls who were abused were sat down and told that abuse was a good thing, was a gift from God, you know, like rape babies. Because if that's what they were told, if that's the kind of counseling that they received, that it was their fault and that it made them better Christians and brought them closer to God, so maybe they should all write little thank you notes to their older brother, they should be removed from the Duggar's home. They should get real world, reality-based 
non-slut-shaming, sex-shaming of little girls counseling. There is this subculture, this psycho-Christian quiverful cult movement that the Duggars are the highest profile participants in. And the Learning Channel has been complicit in mainstreaming this horseshit and making it look wholesome. You two in touch, you two Us Weekly, you two People Magazine. This is the reality of the Duggars. This bullshit, this sexist slut-shaming of little abused girls. The reality show is something different. The reality show is this packaged entertainment that has an agenda. You know, right-wing Christian idiots like the Duggars like to talk about the gay agenda. They have an agenda to mainstream their extremist, sexist, homophobic, quote-unquote, Christian belief system. And they've done it under the guise of this reality show, which then is pimped all over the magazines at the supermarket checkout. But the rea- we are now becoming familiar with the reality of the Duggar lifestyle. And it is a dangerous and immoral and sick one that is a threat to children. Not trans women in bathrooms, not a threat to children. Children in homes like this, like the Duggar home, a threat to children. Your calls after this. The Savage Lovecast is sponsored by Smart Mouth Activated Mouthwash. Smart Mouth blocks bad breath for 12 hours. Get Smart Mouth at your local drugstore and keep your breath fresh. Today's episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by FrameBridge. Send them your art, choose a frame, and they will send you your beautifully framed art ready to hang. Use the promo code SAVAGE for 20% off your first order. That's FrameBridge.com. Enter SAVAGE. Today's Lovecast is brought to you by MeUndies.com. High quality, super comfortable, good looking underpants. Get 20% off your first order when you go to MeUndies.com slash SAVAGE. Hi, Dan. So my mom just disclosed to my dad that she's been having an affair for the last 17 years. They've been together for 30. I've long assumed that they've had a companion at marriage, that they had an arrangement, but it turns out they just never talked about it. My dad is super upset. He's recontextualizing the last two decades of his life and is putting a real zap on his head. The lie is heartbreaking for him. While I realize that both my parents are responsible for the dynamic that created this situation, I'm fairly angry with my mother for traumatizing my father in this way. Perhaps she was doing what she needed to stay married and stay sane, but at what point should one renegotiate the terms of the relationship or just end it? Also, was it really necessary to disclose how long it's been going on for? It just seems cruel. I'd like your opinion, (laughs) perhaps even some guidance for how to go forward as a a compassionate adult child of, of parents in this situation. Are you not operating a car, flying a plane, uh, sitting in the same room with your mom? Oh, okay. Ew. We don't allow nursing mothers on the Savage Love cast. We don't allow that kind of indecency. No, I love that. This is, you're our first nursing mother on the Lovecast that we know of. Every other woman we've called for the last five years could have been nursing their babies, for all I know. But you're our first out and proud nursing mother, and I thank you for that. <laughs> Great. So about your mother, about yes. the nursing baby's grandmother, why do you think she told your dad this suddenly? 
Why give him this info after 17 years? Well, she is bipolar. And so she has also been having a mental health crisis um, at the same time. But she's had them in the past and never disclosed. Do we know for sure that the affair happened, that it's not a delusion? Well, that was one of my questions, too. But um, my younger brother actually saw her with this other person and uh, and went and talked to them. Mm. And they were just, like, buying a parking ticket or something. But, you know, he had a feeling. So later he... he he asked her about it and, and, um, and she told him and she told him, okay, well now everybody knows and your dad is hurt and your mom is in what place is your mother? How's she feeling? She's having a hard time right now too. She's, um, getting some help for her, you know, getting, getting stabilized with her mental health again. It's tempting in a circumstance like this to to assume or to because you know we so stigmatize cheating, and you know what the the uh, the long con that your mother was involved in was a very long con, and it's hard to just smile on it. But we often you know cast the cheater as you know one hundred percent evil, one hundred percent you know awful, and the cheated upon is one hundred percent pure and one hundred percent wrong, then one hundred percent innocent. But was there anything, do you think, in your parents' marriage for the first 13 years that laid the groundwork for this? Did your father sexually abandon your mother? You say it was companionate, or you assumed it was No, that was my assumption. No, I think it's likely that they just never talked about it, right? I always sort of give them the benefit of the doubt, like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, they're just friends, or they have an arrangement. But but looking back, I... Uh, they didn't. <laughs> well, was there, has your mother offered any reason for why she sought this guy out? Was he the love of her life and she just didn't want to traumatize you kids by divorcing your father? Was she dependent on your father in some way that made it logistically or, or impossible for her to yeah, leave him? Yeah, certainly. She was extremely well, dependent Well, I mean, I haven't dad? talked to her um, that much recently. I'm, I'm going to go see her on Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly, you know, they had a house together, the, you know. They're living together was more comfortable, I think, for both of them than splitting up and splitting the finances and having to deal with, you know, the kids being upset. So mm. I definitely think it was the path of least resistance. Um, Has your father had any moments where he said, you know, would he have wanted it to end 17 years ago? Would, you know, if he could turn back the clock and when this affair started, would he have been in a place where he would, you know, rather have not, you know, rather not, rather she'd broken up with him or left him for this other guy? Does he look at every beat, every moment of the last 17 years as a lie that he wished he hadn't had to listen to or live through? I think he's definitely had moments where he's thought, yeah, he could have done things differently. Yeah, or mm-hmm. he, or maybe he wouldn't have looked after my mom and made the decisions that he's made if he had known. So he was, he was caring for her physically, economically, looking after her after her mental health, he was doing all the heavy lifting of marriage and she was fucking this other guy. This is how he feels about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how he feels. That's not really how I feel right now. Um, I go back and forth, but I think that's what, how he feels. Yeah. And how do you feel right now? I feel like I should try to be really compassionate and I shouldn't choose sides. Even though I'm angry at my mom and I feel bad for my dad, Like I don't want to let him fall into the martyr role mm-hmm. and I don't want to villainize my mom because you know, I'm a, I'm a parent too. And I think 
like she was just doing the best that she could. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just such a, a mind fuck for my dad. That's the lying part is crazy. Absolutely. That's, that's a huge mind fuck. And I don't want, you know, you can try not to take sides. You can, you know, empathize with your mother and sympathize with your dad, you know, and not, you know, work not to see your mother as a villain and or necessarily your dad as a victim. But, you know, you should be able to say to your mother, that was super shitty, whatever, like, your reasons were, even if some of those reasons were good, like, look at what you've done to dad, the, the, the pain that you inflicted yeah. on dad is just, you need to take some responsibility for that without being drawn and quartered without, you know, you're not gonna be executed at dawn or anything, but own it, that, that, that you harmed him psychically, sexually, spiritually, however you want to classify the harm, you harmed him. And even if you can just get her to acknowledge that harm, and apologize for it, that may help your father in some small way to begin to move past this. I don't know how you move past 17 years of this kind of deceit in a, what is assumed to be a monogamous relationship to be married to somebody for three decades and have this throne on your lap. Has to be yeah. Which brings me to the question, like, you know, sometimes in your podcast, you say you've got to, you know, do what you got to do to stay married and stay sane, especially with young kids. And if the alternative is divorce, but then how do you extricate yourself from that? Or if you get caught, do you, like, I think it's shitty that she admitted to all 17 years. I think she should have been like, yeah, you know, it's been about a year. I completely, I completely (laughs) agree with you. I completely agree with you that one of the ways, you know, if you're going to do what you need to do to stay married and stay sane, you know, I think you also have to take the sanity of your partner, your your the you know, the the spouse that you're cheating on into some account too. You have a moral obligation to protect that person and to stick the dismount if you're gonna end the marriage at some point and not just dump the full unvarnished truth on them if it's going to shatter and destroy them. That sometimes the loving thing to do is to withhold all the info. Yeah. Because it can be devastating. I wish know? she had. And, and you know, if I had been by your mother's side and her advisor at that moment. I'm not sure it would have helped if it was some sort of manic depressive episode. But if I'd been by her side, I would have said either take this to the grave if you're not intending ever to get out of this marriage or as you suggest, like tell him it's been six months or a year and let him think the last year of my marriage has been a lie, not more than half of my 30 year marriage has been a lie. Yeah. And sometimes people do what they have to do to stay married and stay sane. They they have sex with other people in a sexless marriage for a while. And then suddenly, and this is a case I wrote about in American Savage, my last book, the sex in the relationship comes back and they let their piece on the side go and everything's great again because they didn't and, – and they wouldn't have stayed long enough for things to get great again if they hadn't have gotten sex elsewhere. Yeah. But if they disclosed, everything wouldn't be great again. So they're going to keep their mouth shut about it for fucking ever. And that's part of, you know, when I say stay married and stay sane, I guess I don't mean sanity singular, not just sanity for the person cheating, but also sanity for the person being cheated on, which requires keeping your mouth shut about it. Or if there comes a point where you want to unburden yourself or shift the burden onto their shoulders to minimize it so that you can stick a compassionate dismount so you can get out of the relationship without creating devastation in your wake. For your spouse that you stuck with for years for some reason. Your mother must like your father on some level. Oh, yeah. I and mean, they get along, right? The friends. But 
man, I think things are going to get worse before they get better. Are they headed for divorce? Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. I mean, it's pretty early to like, but things don't look good for uh, marriage wise. You may soon be privy <laughs> to lots of information that as an adult child, you'd rather not have. Like your mom may come to you and say, your father stopped fucking me at three years and stopped having, and I waited a decade. Right. You know, I get yeah. letters all the time from people who've been with somebody in a sexless marriage and not always men, often women. And, you know, they've waited and begged and pleaded and cajoled for five years, for 10 years, for 15 years. And then they start cheating. And then mm-hmm. when the cheating gets found out, they're always the bad guy. Right. And they get no credit for time served, no credit for that five years, 10 years, 15 years that they tried, worked on it, went to couples counseling and nothing worked. And then they, they took a lover and stayed and they're terrible yeah. people. So you may find out all sorts of info that complicates this picture right now, which yeah, is mom's so all villain and dad's all victim. Know. And you might not want to know, but you might not want to know, but it actually might help you find some compassion for your mother, which is not to excuse the hurt she's inflicted on your father. That as this unpacks, as this all comes out, it may not be white hat, black hat stuff is all I'm saying. And you should listen and love them both and try not to take sides. But not taking sides doesn't mean you can't say to your mother what you did was shitty and you can't say to your father, wow, that's really awful. That's not taking sides. That's acknowledging facts. Well, thank you for your call. You're welcome. And thank you for nursing your baby on the Savage Lovecast. (laughs) My pleasure. Good luck. My pleasure. Thanks, Dan. Bye. Hey, Dan. My name is Michael. I'm a 29-year-old from Texas. I met my boyfriend, who was 26 last June when I moved to our city. Uh, We hit it off really well. He's a really kind, intelligent guy, really easy to communicate with, and we're at the same place in our graduate program. But recently, I've been feeling sad about our relationship and unsure about our compatibility. About two months ago, he moved into my apartment because he wasn't able to financially stay with his. Uh, He didn't realize the amount of loans he needed to take out. So I told him to come live with me free of rent and utilities. And he said, oh, that was fine. And he would pick up groceries and help around the house. But he hasn't really fulfilled his commitment. Um, About a month ago, uh, two of our friends got into a car accident when a drunk driver hit them. They wound up in the ICU. Uh, They're okay now, but the experience really emotionally rocked me um, to the core, and I started crying, thinking about what would happen if he got hurt, and his reaction was really off-putting. It was as if he was trying to intellectualize my emotions and the experience, and it didn't really feel like he understood where I was coming from emotionally. I feel kind of unsupported uh, with our relationship. I just got back from a conference for four days and the house was a wreck and there was no food when I got in. And last week he had been away for a really long conference and I washed his car, cleaned the apartment, um, made him dinner in case he was hungry. I really feel like I'm putting in a lot into our relationship and I feel like I'm starting to nag him or getting ready to apply to post post, uh, graduate programs. And I'm working really hard and I'm trying to be a competitive applicant and I just feel like I'm pulling this along. He does help, but this is usually in spurts. He'll make dinners for a week and that'll be really helpful. But I just feel like I need more help from him. I don't feel like he's my equal. I just feel really 
unsupported and unburdened and really ashamed because I don't know if I'm being a good boyfriend and I'm, I don't know. I just need some advice on what to do to salvage our relationship. So my first impulse after listening to your call and hearing your question, how do I salvage this relationship was to turn on the microphone and scream, why on fucking earth would you want to salvage this relationship? He doesn't pay rent. He doesn't pay utilities. He doesn't clean. He doesn't cook. He doesn't, doesn't sound like he's capable of meeting your emotional needs. Why do you want to salvage? What is there to salvage? He is an inconsiderate user. And then I listened to your call again because I didn't want to burn this down without doing my due diligence. And what leapt out of me was we've been together for two months or he moved in two months ago. So it's only been two months of the living off you and the – not cleaning and the not holding up his end of the bargain. If it had been six months, if it had been a year, I think I would go with why the fuck would you want to salvage this thing? Dump the motherfucker already burn this thing down. But at two months, and if you really do like him and he's kind and everything else that you say that he is, I think at two months, which is just eight weeks that this could be a communication problem. Sounds like you two are both still clawing your way to whatever language it is. You're still figuring each other out and how you fit together as a couple. And that's a long process of carving deep grooves into each other until you fit together because no two people fit together perfectly at the outset or even at the end set. But it's a process. And you need to shove all your chips into the center of the table and bet that he is unaware of what a slob he is, that he's unaware that he isn't holding up his end of the deal. And you need to push that all out of the table and say to him, look, when you moved in and I agreed to help you out because I like you, I love you, we're boyfriends, and I agreed to you know, let you live here rent-free and without utilities, you made certain promises and you aren't holding up that end of the bargain. And maybe that's because you know, some people have different standards about what a messy apartment is. So your messy apartment could be his tidy enough. And if what you want is your style of tidy or closer to it, you guys need to have a conversation about that. You need a conversation about what clean is, what uh, you know, dinners are, what you know, consistency and follow through. You're paying the rent every month. You're paying all the utilities every month. You expect not just a week's worth of effort every once in a while. You're not paying a week's worth of the rent every once in a while. But daily effort around cleanliness, around groceries, around his end of the bargain. And then after having a knockdown, drag out, screaming fight about that, if he doesn't come around, if he doesn't begin to hold up his end of the bargain, or if he only holds up his end of the bargain for a week, and then it's back to messy house, no food, inconsideration, then there's no salvaging this relationship. Then you two are not good together. You're just going to make each other miserable. And you can have a similar conversation around your emotional needs. Whatever it is that he said to you when you got so upset about your friends being in that car accident, it was not what you needed to hear. And he needs to hear that that wasn't what you needed to hear. And maybe what you needed to hear was nothing. Just you needed him to listen. Whatever it is, you need to lay it out for him. And then see if he can rise to the challenge of being your boyfriend. And if he can't rise to the challenge of being your boyfriend, and it's not far to rise, hold up your end of the bargain. Be there for me when I'm a basket case. Pull the plug. We want to thank our sponsor, Smart Mouth Mouthwash. Smart Mouth chose our show to advertise on because they know that we are committed to getting our listeners laid 
and getting laid usually starts with a ton of kissing and you don't want bad breath. Fortunately, Smart Mouth Mouthwash blocks bad breath for a full 12 hours so you're ready to go whenever. And Smart Mouth can even prevent morning breath when you rinse at night just in case you're waking up next to someone. Most other mouthwashes only last an hour or so, but Smart Mouth can go all day and all night. Just mix two solutions before rinsing twice a day to activate powerful bad breath blockers. That's the secret to the longest lasting fresh breath out there. Don't get breath blocked. Get Smart Mouth and get fresh with 12 hours of fresh, clean breath. Find Smart Mouth activated mouthwash in the shiny green bottles at CVS Pharmacy or anywhere you shop or at smartmouth.com. Hi, Dan. I'm a 22-year-old lady, and I find myself in a bit of a pickle, no pun intended. I have a proclivity to date gay men. Uh, I'm sure you can understand this, since gay guys are generally cleaner and more polished than straight guys are, but this hasn't been great since these guys aren't picking up what I'm putting down, if you know what I mean. My high school boyfriend was gay. In college, I pursued a gay guy, and most recently, I dated a guy, a bisexual guy, who was actually probably just gay. Is this behavior pathological? I think I'd like to be in a normal, healthy relationship, but am I subconsciously just sabotaging myself by pursuing these gay guys? Or are there well-groomed, polite, and sophisticated straight men in the world? Are there well-groomed, sophisticated, and polite straight men in the world? Yes, there are, just as there are poorly groomed, unsophisticated, and impolite gay men in the world. You're talking to one right now. You've noticed a pattern that you keep seeking out or somehow finding the gay boys. That could just be random coincidence. It couldn't be something that you're consciously or even subconsciously doing or seeking, but it could be something that you're subconsciously seeking. I often hear from straight girls who love gay men that they love us so much because we're nicer and kinder and less judgy and all these wonderful things and – wouldn't it be great? You know, we're so lucky that we get to date each other. Wouldn't it be great if straight men were more like us? And the the answer to that is, yeah, we're nicer and kinder and all those wonderful things to you because we're not trying to fuck you. We're not trying to get in your pants. We're just as shitty to each other as straight men and straight women are to each other. Just as much game playing and hesitation and insecurity sort of warping people and making them douchey or curdling them into assholes. Like we do that to each other too. Yeah, we're awful to each other. Yeah, we're wonderful friends. And so maybe what you're doing at this early stage of your life, you're in your early 20s, you're at that stage of life where a lot of the gay guys in your life maybe are not out yet or fully out yet. And you're picking up on that nice, kind, emotionally available to you as a lady stuff that exists in these guys because they're gay and they're either not trying to get in your pants or really not that excited about getting in your pants and being with you is easier and breezier because for them so much less is at stake because they're not emotionally or sexually invested in this relationship. So you may be picking guys, going after guys where there's just less resistance, less friction. It just seems easier. And those relationships often true. Like it is easier. As a gay guy, when I was young and closeted and with girls, it was easier because I didn't care. The, the relationships were slightly effortless. It wasn't effort to have the – it was effort to like have the sex. It was effortless to be there, be engaged, hang out, talk because whether the relationship lived or died, I didn't care because there was very little at stake for me emotionally. So they were very comfortable relationships. Maybe you're going after that. Maybe to go off in a new direction, what you need to do are identify the guys where it feels a little crunchy and challenging, where it feels a little harder, not so effortless, 
relationships or guys that seem a little tense, uptight, risky, a little more dangerous because there's more at stake emotionally, sexually, and everything else. So so either it's a coincidence or you're going after literally the low-hanging fruit in your social circles, which are the guys who are not out yet and it seems easy and breezy because they're gay. Challenge yourself. Live a little. And circling back to your question, well-groomed, sophisticated, polite, straight guys, they are out there. Sometimes they don't seem so sophisticated or polite when they are on a hunt for pussy, right? That can make a guy seem tense, weird, creepy, right? But they are out there, well-groomed, sophisticated, polite. They're out there. I met a whole room full of male models at a male model thing that my husband dragged me to. And they were all extremely well-groomed and sophisticated and so polite I thought they were all cocksuckers. But it turned out that they weren't. None of them. Not a one. Well-groomed, sophisticated, polite, straight boys. Have you been to Europe? There are so many well-groomed, sophisticated, polite, straight boys in Europe that there were websites at the beginning of the internet era where they would just show pictures of these well-groomed, sophisticated, and polite boys in Europe and ask, European or gay? You might want to look those up in the archives. They're out there. There are well-groomed, sophisticated, polite, straight boys out there. Go find a few and fuck them. Hey, everybody, we've got a new advertiser we want to welcome to the Savage Lovecast family, FrameBridge. FrameBridge is the easiest, most affordable way to beautifully custom frame the things you love online. Mail them your art, they send free packaging, or upload a photo from your computer, phone, or Instagram account for them to print out and frame. Choose from 25 different frame styles, some clean and simple, some classic, and some funky. Your framed art arrives at your door beautifully framed and ready to hang. Their prices are 70% cheaper than traditional frame stores, and shipping is always free. Framing makes a great gift, too, if there's someone out there you know who's getting married soon. So visit www.framebridge.com to start framing. And right now, be sure to use the promo code SAVAGE, S-A-V-A-G-E, for 20% off that first order. That's framebridge.com and enter promo code SAVAGE. Hi, Dan. I am a late 20s lesbian in the Bay Area, recently out of a year and a half toxic relationship. And I'm having my first slutty casual dating phase of my life, and I'm loving it. I'm really happy to be single and finally free from my horrible, for me, ex-partner. Uh, so after a couple of weeks of boring dates and some decent one-night stands with women, I met a guy at a bar, and long story short, I lost my gold star. I have been out for a decade and never been interested in guys. And what's most shocking about this experience is I loved it. The sex was so good and satisfying, not weird, not awkward, just shockingly good. Uh, I haven't even kissed a guy in so long. I always found me can't with guys boring, and I never thought I could have good sex with one. So I find myself interested in exploring my potential bisexuality now. It's weird because I've always been so gay, but the sex was so good that I really want to try it again. Um, the guy that I had sex with was just visiting town, so he's gone now, and I have a date coming up with a guy from Tinder. So my question is about etiquette. Do I disclose to guys that I was a confirmed lesbian until a week ago? I didn't tell the guy I slept with that I had never slept with a guy before, but I told him I've only ever seriously dated women and that it takes a lot for me to be into a guy. Part of why I felt so safe with him was that he was a feminist and super respectful of women, and I felt really empowered in bed. I set my boundaries about what I wouldn't, would and wouldn't do, and he respected them. 
But I definitely downplayed the whole, you know, I'm a big dyke thing. Um, so I'm not looking for a boyfriend. I'm just looking to explore a new part of my sexuality, potential friends with benefits, some short flings, et cetera. So how much should I disclose about my queerness? And how do I handle this with the women I'm dating? Uh, there's so much stigma with dykes about sleeping with men. And I'm a little embarrassed about how smug I was about my gold star status for years. So, you know, karma came and bit me in the ass because I liked fucking a D. Uh, yeah, I just I never thought I would be like that lesbian who starts dating dudes. But it feels right to me at this point in my life at 29 years old. So any advice on navigating this major shift in my life? I want to say I never hear this from gay guys. I never get calls or letters from gay guys who tell me that they were gay, 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 gay for a decade and gold star gays. And then they ate a pussy and now they're totally into pussy. And what do they do with that? Um, I wish I could say that, but it's not entirely true. I do rarely every once in a great while over the years, a small handful of letters from gay guys who've discovered that they enjoy sex with women and are basically where you are now. Like, Oh God, I guess I'm bi exploring my bisexuality. Now, what does it mean to have to hand in my gay card have to come out as bi? What about the reaction of my gay friends? who are going to freak out. But like I said, just a handful of those questions over the last 25 years from gay dudes, this lesbian for a decade, Bearing down on those childbearing years, coincidentally enough, and suddenly jumping on dick. I get this question all the time. And then I get yelled at, and there will be yelling. There will be calls from angry lesbians. A call that perhaps you would have made two weeks ago, scolding me for even playing this call because now all these straight guys who listen to my podcast have heard, been reinforced to them once again that, that any lesbian out there can be had, that all lesbians secretly in their part of parts at some point want dick and maybe it'll be theirs. So I apologize to all the lesbians who may be hit on in the wake of this call by hopeful straight boys. But what can I do? This question comes in. I don't answer this question every time I get it. I'm not anxious to rush these questions to the front of the queue, but I got to take one every once in a while. So what do you do, caller? You obviously do what you did. You say, what do I do? This is what I did. It worked great. Now what do I do? Well, you keep doing what you did. You identify those feminist men that you feel safe with who are going to be very respectful of your boundaries. You tell the truth. Until a week ago, you were a confirmed lesbian. Now you are on the bisexual farm team or something. But you're exploring men and you're excited about it, but you have certain limitations. You have certain things that need to be taken into consideration about Whatever it is, your emotional safety, your physical safety in the moment and you expect them to be considerate and attentive and not douchey. And if they are douchey or inattentive or inconsiderate, they don't get to touch your lesbian pussy with their dicks. They'll do whatever you tell them to. Straight guys love and bi guys love that getting to be the magic dick that got to touch the lesbian pussy. Right? The whole porn genre out there about just that. As for handling your relations with the lesbian community, you are not alone. There are many, many – we used to call them bi-dykes, lesbian-identified women who were actually bisexual, capable of falling in love with men or women, or lesbian-identified bi-women who were only capable of loving and in, only interested in relationships and commitments with other women but enjoyed dick every once in a while and enjoyed male energy and attention every once in a while. And it's a glorious thing when two lesbian – 
to lesbians like that to buy dykes come together and they have a wonderful relationship and every once in a while they jump a dude together. I have known those lesbian couples and they seem very happy. Those buy dyke couples, they seem very happy together. Perhaps you could be one of them, but don't go out there in the world ashamed of who you are or where your sexual journey and explorations have taken you. If there are lesbians out there who are threatened by where you're at right now, which is on a dick, fuck them. Who cares what they think? You couldn't have been a lesbian if you were at all concerned with what the majority of a certain group of people think. You came out as a lesbian when a majority of the straight people in your life probably disapproved. If coming out as a lesbian or a bi dyke or bisexual now freaks out some of the lesbians you know in your life, fuck them. Find better friends who aren't so insecure or freaked out. But who knows? In, in outing yourself to your lesbian friends and your lesbian community about this, you may discover plenty of other women who've done the same th- – lesbian-identified women who've done the same thing that you're doing now – They had their dick days or they have their dick days every once in a while and they enjoy them. You may discover that there are women out there that you have this in common with. Women that you could go on dates and dicks with. Hey, it's Nancy. And I'm here to tell you about underpants. That's right. It's an ad for me undies. They asked me to do this because they've come out with a line of underpants for ladies. And it's about time, me undies. Thank you. They sent me a sample box with some different styles, including bikini, boy shorts, thongs, or my personal favorite, cheeky briefs, which look delightful, I have to say. They use this uh, super soft, breathable, modal fabric that seems like it's been concocted by underpant wizards underneath a mountain somewhere because they feel like otherworldly. So if your old underpants are like mine, well... Actually, let's not talk about that. If it's time for some new undies, or if you'd like to give a sublime gift to your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your boyfriends or your girlfriends, then head on over to MeUndies.com slash savage. That's the URL and it helps us if you do this. You'll get 20% off your first order plus free shipping. And in the unlikely event that you don't like them, you'll get your money back and you get to keep the first pair you tried on. That's 20% off your first order when you go to MeUndies.com slash savage. Hey, Dan, this is a 27-year-old bisexual female living abroad. I have a question relating to, I guess, family. I recently got married, and my partner and I decided to more or less elope. We had a really small ceremony with just our immediate family, and um, it was perfect. I wouldn't have changed anything. So my problem is that my extended family on my mom's side has been kind of shitty with her after our marriage. You know, we sent an email to everybody before we put anything on Facebook so that people wouldn't feel like it just came out of left field and they didn't know anything. But um, my aunt and uncle in particular have uh, kind of cut off contact with my mom. I know it's not necessarily my problem, but I feel really bad. Uh, that my parents are having to deal with some fallout on, you know, the happiest day of mine and my partner's life. And uh, I just wanted your advice on if there's anything that I can do to smooth things over for my mom or just like, yeah, be a supportive daughter. I know weddings seem to be a big deal to everybody whose wedding it's not, actually. But uh, anyway, your perspective would be really appreciated. 
It's funny how your aunt and your uncle in their reaction to not being invited to your wedding are demonstrating why you wouldn't want them at your wedding in the first place. They sound like unpleasant drama queens who are making a scene about your wedding and had they been at your wedding would very likely have engineered a scene at it as well. Here's what you do. It's simple. You write a letter to your aunt and your uncle and you say, I'm so sorry that our elopement hurt your feelings. I understand that you're mad, but if you want to be mad at someone, you should be mad at me and my husband, not at my mother. It wasn't my mother's decision to do an elopement. It was our decision. So I am sorry that your feelings were hurt. Please stop taking it out on my mother. That's all you got to say. And then if they don't, that's all you got to say. Here's hoping that they never get over it and you are free of them forever, that they never speak to you or your mother or anyone else ever again on your side of the family because they sound like insane, insecure, juvenile, infantile shitbags that you're well rid of. And if your wedding was the mechanism by which you and your mother were relieved of having to interact with these people, congratulations on your marriage and your wedding and your elopement. You accomplished more than just committing to the man you love for the rest of your life. You accomplished getting these shitbags out of your mother's life and your life for the rest of your life too. Yahtzee. Hey, Dan. I'm just calling in response to episode 447. There was a woman who called about um, being afraid that her boyfriend was gay, and you gave her some great advice, but at one point she was discussing some concern about her acrylic nails. So I just wanted to let her know. One of the things that we do in the sex industry in porn when a woman has these fucking huge-ass talons is you take a latex glove or non-latex glove and you put put cotton balls in the tips of them, and then you can finger away safely without tearing up anyone's vagina or rectum. So maybe she can keep that in mind and give that a try. Hi, Dan. This is a comment for episode 447 and the woman with the bisexual boyfriend. I just wanted to add a comment that uh, she could also go out and buy a strap-on and bring it into the bedroom. And while they're incorporating their dirty talk, she could ask if he's interested in sucking a dick and then go into the bathroom and come out with one for him to suck. Hey, this is a quick story for the woman in episode 447 who's nervous about asking if the guy she's got a crush on is gay. Uh, a little over five years ago, I had a first date with a woman who noticed the I Support Gay Marriage sticker on my guitar case. She said, oh, are you gay? And I said, no, I'm hitting on you. And she said, oh, uh, carry on then. I did indeed carry on. We've been married for almost nine months now. Uh, your mileage may vary, but just ask him. It could be great. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. We've announced the call for submissions for the HumpFest 2015. Go to humpseattle.com and click on submissions if you want to get your amateur porn into the country's best amateur porn film festival. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. The Savage Lovecast is produced by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of The Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.